Okay, you ready for the word of God? When I was preparing for this, um, I didn't feel so as much so like a full-on preach. It was more like a father heart talk. We'll, we'll see how it goes. And I remember in time, and it was like the evening service, and it was Alan Beatty stood up. He was preaching on that evening, and he said, look, I've got a sermon. He said, I've just got a thought there. And it always stuck with me. I'm sure you were there, Bethany. He just, he just spoke for five minutes. I'm not saying, by the way, did I get too excited? I'm not saying, for five minutes. And he says, this is what I feel so the heart of the Lord is. And it was when he was driving about a hell, but he just felt as so though somebody was in darkness and that God was saying, Dan, need to remain in the darkness, that God can shine a light. And then he closed the service in prayer and they really that was that. And I thought, wow, that was really a few things. That was really quick. But that was the heart of the Lord for somebody. And as an oracle of God, preachers, we need to realize that we need to get something of the heart of the Lord. From what it says, it's now about stretching a sermon out till 40 minutes, three points beginning with P, so they are mine. It's just, and then somebody came after and says to Alan that that was for me. And they had been in a really dark place considering suicide. And if he hadn't said that and God hadn't broke through, that they didn't care for the next move would have been. And so the heart of the Lord this, uh, this morning is mere a father heart. I'm going to take it for John chapter 1, verse 42. Last week we spoke about that Andrew, the hair life of Peter, as we did an overview of Peter's life. I'll never go through it. But really I started with his brother Andrew. That Andrew was the first to encounter Jesus. And then he went and says to his brother, like I have met the Messiah. We spoke about if there wasn't an Andrew, humanly speaking, there wouldn't be a, a Peter. But let's be Andrews that would encounter Jesus and bring other people to him. And this is the first encounter that Jesus had. We, we, Simon is his card, that we know him as Peter. So this is the initial introduction. It says he first found, in verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which has translated the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. This is the first words that was going to come out the mouth of Jesus towards Simon. You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. There's got to be three parts. The first one I'd say, you are Simon. This was the initial introduction in Jesus' saying, I know you, how you are now. I know your name. There was no grand introduction that Andrew says, hey, have you met my brother? This is my brother, Jesus. This is Simon. Uh, he's a fisherman. Uh, Andrew didn't tell me his whole story. But as Simon rocked up, it says that Jesus looked at him, and that word look at him, it means gaze. You see, when somebody's looking at you and you think, ooh, then they're just looking at me, they are investing interest. They're trying to suss me out. This was Jesus gazing and saying, you are Simon. The first thing I want to say is, God knows who you are today. Jesus knows you, who you really are. He knows us better 
than we know ourselves. You see, when Jesus says that your heavenly Father can count the very hairs on your head, He wasn't saying that my heavenly Father is really good at maths, and He can look at the crown in your head, and He can divide every hair, and He's really good at counting. Jesus was saying, our Father knows you better than you know yourself. Again, this is maybe easy for some that are receding, but does somebody ken how much hairs they have on their head? Some of us, a foul and kill us. I'd say even a toddler could do that. Well, I, I, I've got to confess, I have no idea about my head. I've got duffy hair. When I go to the hairdresser, I say, you'll never go bald. Because I've got duffy hair coming through from my dad and my Johnny Crusade. I've no idea how much hairs there are in this wonderful, beautiful crown. But God knows. And He's saying, I know you better than you know you. He knows what marks you smile. He's given you a personality and character. He cares for you find your contentment and He also cares your frustrations. He knows what frustrates the life out of you. I know you are Simon. He knows your personality. He cares with your mere outward processor or an inward processor, whether you take your time to think. Kens the, the things that you see in other people that just annoy you. He cans it annoys me is loud chewing. When you're in a meal and somebody's a loud chewer. And you just want to put a silencer on them. He knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows your character. He cans your character qualities and your defects. He knows you, the temptations that you face. We all might face different temptations on a daily basis, but God knows the ones that you face. Temptations to sin, to get tangled up in different addictions, different lusts of the flesh, wearisome things. And Jesus says, you are Simon. I know you. And Jesus says, I know you. I know you, Fiona. I know Elsa. I know Jacob. I know you, Ruth. I know Luke. I know Andra. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. He knows what you think about him at this point. And you might have no time for Jesus. And he knows that, and he loves you steadfastly, and he died for you. He knows what marks you smile and give you a belly laugh. For me, it's daft jokes. I love just little daft jokes, no offensive jokes, just, just daft jokes. My favorite movie, and God knows this, is Dumb and Dumber. Second favorite movie, Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> now, for some of you, that's just muck. That's just muck. What you watch that for? 
Hughes would rather watch It's a Wonderful Life and wartime movies, and God knows that about you as well, but for me, it's just way comedy that doesn't need no thinking whatsoever. It just makes me, me laugh. He knows your favorite programs. He cares that some of you men secretly like periodic dramas, like Downton Abbey. And he's made you that way. Sentimental. He can not only see you, but he sees your heart. He doesn't just see the things you do, but your motives. It says that the Lord waves the motives of a man's heart. He knows if you are telling Abdi that you're being good and on a diet this month of January, but secretly hand big marks behind the scenes. He cares if you're working out in the morning and, or if you're just telling Abdi you're watching yourself. And he said, you are Simon, with the only grand introduction. Simon must have knew, this guy knows me. He really knows me. He knows your weariness and worldliness your wonder or ham. Sometimes I experience all that within one hour. Weariness, worldliness. And in the end, we wonder, thanking the Lord. They say that there's three yous going on at one given time. There's the you that you present to the public view. That's a you that you want people to see. It doesn't matter how the, you've, got, you've, you've been at seven or eight in the morning, as soon as you go out to work, you are go in public view, you present yourself as this person. Behind closed doors, things might be falling apart, but there's the you that you want people to see. So no matter how things go on a Sunday morning, you might look like the Adams family, but then you come through these doors, and nothing's fine. Blessed be his name, because that's how you want to be presented as. There's, there's that you. And then there's the you that is behind the scenes. That maybe your partner cares your worries and your fears and your anxieties and the moments you're falling apart, or maybe you're alone in this world. There's the you that you see, and that door's closed. And then there's the, the real you, the you that God sees which encompasses the you that people see in you, for you are behind the scenes. There's a you that only God sees. In the innermost being, your deepest desires are your heart. And God says, I know you. I want you. I love you. I'm in love with you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. This great creator God that in the universe and existent that gives life and gives life to all flesh and all animals is majestic. And at the same time, a loving father that says, I know you. He knows us and calls us on a journey. He sees us as valuable. His affection is devastatingly powerful towards us. You are Simon. I know you. You. 
And then he says, the son of Jonah. God says, I know you. You are Simon. And then he says, you are the son of Jonah. He's saying this, I know you, and I know far you've come from. I know your history. I know your dad. You're the son of Jonah, right? He was a fisherman. I know him. I know your dad, Ken, your mom, your genealogy. I know your history. He knows your parents. He knows whether your dad was a loving dad or he didn't hang around. And you didn't ever find out for your dad was. He know whether he was well provided for when he was brought up. He knows the street we were brought up at, and he knows the number on the door. You are the son of Jonah. I know for you've came from. I know your history. He knows whether he was brought up in Spam Valley, as we called it when he was younger. Sorry, it was the people with the big hooses. My tribe didn't have big hooses because, because they're so big hooses. This was all theory. Forgive me, I'm not causing them the offense, am I? They just ate spam. That was the theory. Well, he cares whether he was brought up there or brought up in an estate, in a dysfunctional family. He cares whether your parents prayed for you continually or whether you was for a dysfunctional family or unbelievers. We need to pray for these people that are brought up in our community without hope. God knows them, and He knows how they came into being. We need to pray for kids, and we need to pray for the parents that are just in cycles of pain and poverty. Do you think God has forgotten these people and just cares about the church folk that goes to Kirk and believe in Him and worship Him? No. God knows where they've come from. God knows your history. God knows your tears as you have placed your head in that pillow in even faithlessness. He knows your history, how you have blamed even Him and cried out, if there was a God, why so much pain? Why so much suffering? Why so much loss? Oh, He knows, son of Jonah, he knows where you've came from. He knows whether you got saved at Sunday school and have never departed, went through powerhouse, went through youth, now a leader in church. He knows. He knows your history. He's a great I am that sees the beginning for the end. And he calls people and says, I know you. And I know exactly where you've came from to this point. Isn't our God wonderful? He kens my history. Some of my history is devastatingly chaotic. Some of my history is shameful, and God knows it. And He loves us. And He wants us. And He cares for us. And He wants to comfort us. And He sent His Son to die for us so that He could say, I know you. I know your history, but come follow me. 
So much people live with a shame, with a regret, with a past, and hinders them from moving on into the fullness of Jesus. Well, guess what? God knows your history, and He still wants you. In fact, God has got a habit with calling them with difficult histories. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Remember when Samuel turned up to anoint a son of Jesse to be king? And so Jesse got all his well-known sons up. And Sam, God says to Samuel, Sneham, the, the eldest son, the guy that looks like a warrior, they thought he, he should be king. And Samuel said, I want to anoint him as king. But it's Nahum. Went to son number two, son number three, son number four. And every time Samuel was like, I, I, I really want to anoint him because he looks like a king. But it's Nahum. And then they run out of options. And Samuel's like, I maybe came to the wrong place. If you want the other sons, because God told me to come here to anoint somebody to be the future king of Israel. And Jesse says, well, there is one, but he's hidden. He's out with the sheep. He had a difficult history. They say that David was born for an adulterous relationship. He could never be king. And Jesse was like, nah, Nahum, he, he cannot be the future king of Israel. We, 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 when we've seen you come in, we got rid of him. And Samuel says, God does not look at what experience in people that looks like kings. He looks in the innermost being. People with difficult histories. People that's more comfortable in a place of pain than a place of pleasure. People that have histories that they would love to come in and rewrite because they think that would look like a Christian son a Christian daughter. That would look like a follower of Jesus. And God said, I'm going to pick the people. I know their history, but they're going to come with me. I'm going to make kings and princes. I'm going to anoint them. And I'm going to lead people to Jesus. He also picked Saul. If I was in the New Testament, a martyr of Christians, dragged him away, beat him, crazy history of murdering Christians on his why to persecuting Christians. God met him and called him and changed his name as well and says, I know your history. Uh, I came for your why day. You've murdered my kids, but I'm stopping you right now. I'm calling you by name. I just wonder if there's somebody in here, you know your history and you think, how can God choose me with this history? What I tell you, son of Jonah, God knows, yet he calls, and he loves you, and he's seen you, and you have not evaded his attention. Lastly, he says this, you are Simon, I know you, he knows you, son of Jonah, well, I know your history, but you shall be called Cephas, which translated means a stone or a rock, near the rock, Dwayne Johnson, near the rocket man, Elton John, but you'll be called 
the rock, the stone. You can what Simon means? Reed. So it was get swayed about by the wind and through the turmoil or the natural environment. But he says, I'm calling you into something new. You've got to be a rock. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be strong. I know you. I can't find you comfort. But I also know who you could be. And God looks at each one of us and says, I know you. I know your innermost being. I know your name. I know your history. I can't find you've come for. I can't find you've been through. I know that you're a fighter. You're a survivor. But I also know your destiny. Right at the start of the first encounter with Simon, he's seen the end for the beginning. He's seen that if Simon would follow him, he would come for a person that gets blown about by different theories and theologies and through worldliness. But Jesus would do something so profound in his life, he'd become steadfast, that God would mold his character, that Peter would journey, he'd have highlights and lowlights, he'd have fantastic spiritual experience and incredible failures, but God saw within him destiny. This is who you could be. Jesus prophetically spoke out of his life. This is who you will become. Simon's history was a fisherman that used flowery language, shall we say, that had been brought up in the Scriptures, but he was ruddy. He, he was a loudmouth. Yet the initial encounter, Jesus says, I know who you will become. Of course, Jesus was the rock of all ages, and Jesus is saying, I know you will become like me. Jesus is the rock, the great foundation of our faith. He's a rock of ages. And Jesus is saying, you, in some capacity, you will be like me. And Jesus looks at us, says, I know you, I know your history, but I also know who you will become. You will become like me, taking on in some shape or form the wonderful character and grace of Jesus. And I think sometimes that looks different for different people. For Peter, it was specific. You'll become steadfast. You'll be a rock. For other people, they just exude joy. And maybe Jesus would say, I know you. I know your history. But you will be known for joy. The joy of Jesus. Some people come in and they exude generosity and, and comfort. And God would say, I know you. I know your history. I'm changing your name. And I can see for you'll become and you'll become generous. You'll forgive the unforgivable. You'll be kind. You'll move and sign wonders and miracles. You'll be a leader. You'll be faithful. You'll be hopeful. You will be hope. You can take hopeless people and change your name and say, You will be known as somebody that is hope and hope filled. God sees your destiny. He gives us a new name, becoming like Christ. 
I remember when Jim led in him, because this is near, got near, some people say, well, I'm too old. Jim led in him, got saved here, and he was about 80 year old. He got saved at an Alpha course. I had a in his history, but God called him. I can't, he was a bit of a mischievous character. But he came, became joy, didn't he? He became joy in this place for them that knew him. None was a brother. He hid him at Hogmanay. He sang the songs. He loved to worship. And some people might say, well, I'm too off. What am I? This is not a day with time frame. This is the day with God doing a miracle in your life and you becoming for He created you to be. We've got to look at two scriptures. Then we'll round it off. 2 Corinthians 3. 18. And this is what happened in Peter's life, or Simon's life. Jesus says, you are Simon. I know you. I know you intimately. I know you better than yourself. I can your history. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter would follow him and Jesus would change his life. What changes your life? You are God. God changes your life. It's a story of transformation but we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed. Whether we know it, acknowledge it, we are being transformed into the same image, the image of our, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. From glory to glory, little by little, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we behold Christ as we are in fellowship with each other and the Lord, just like Simon was changed to a rock, we get changed little by little, glory to glory, so that we become fit, mere like Jesus. In Philippians 2.13, with this in mind as well, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. If I works in you to be changed, you are God. God works in us. As we follow him and journey with him, he works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He works in you things that delight him for his good pleasure. Fun did Simon become Peter? Fun did he become the rock man? Well, through the Gospels, Simon was largely known as Simon or Simon Peter. I guess he was Simon the reed floated a rune like the wind at the picture of the cross when he denied Jesus three times. That was, it was too much like Simon then. He'd followed Jesus three for three years and seen Jesus do many miracles, but yet he was still to become a denier. Even New Testament, Simon, we see him in fellowship with non-Jews, Gentiles, that God loved but as soon as his Jewish mates came on the go, it says that Peter silently walked away for the non-Jews and sat with his pals until Apostle Paul came and said, see for your dean, it's hypocrisy. It was probably a little too much like Simon then. He's supposed to have just seen people as God seen people. But as he was to write his letters at the end of the, his life, first Peter and second Peter, he always started with these words. This is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I came the exact day God 
fulfilled the prophecy that he would be the rock. Again, that's that when his wife was led to martyrdom, and he remained steadfast. And she was led to be crucified, and he cried out to her, Just remember your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that that was a steadfast guy speaking. We know that when he was in prison, and he was given an option, deny Jesus and live, or confess Him and die. You maybe remember the last time he denied him. And he said, hey, I'm remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer swayed by every theory or theology. This is not just a fisherman speaking. I became a fisher. Oh, man, God made me into something. Take me to the cross. And then he says, I'm not worthy enough to die on the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ the same way he did. So he said this, flip that cross upside down. Put my head on the ground. Put my feet in the air. Put my arms spread out closer to the ground. Far fulfilled that in his life. Jesus did. And Jesus prophesies over your life. I know who you are. I know far you've been, but I also know that you will become. And He has promised to do that in our lives. Praise the Lord. He will accomplish all He has set out today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to pray. He knows that by His power, He will accomplish what He set out to do until the great day of salvation, for we will see Him face to face, and we will truly become all that we was ever meant to be, without any of the failings, without any of the dark histories. Truly in the place of perfection. And we'll gaze upon his eyes. And we will boast not on ourselves and say, I've made it because of me. We will not boast in our church programs and say, We've made it because of our planning. Our only boast before him will be in the Lord. You called me. You knew me, you snatched me for the fire, and you did for you it today so that I could become a true son, a true daughter of the living God. I'm just going to pray for us generally, for the tender heart of the Father that you would know Him who knows you. And then we'll praise and worship, we'll take up our tithes and offerings. But let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your Father's heart towards us. I thank you that you see us, that you know us. You know if it makes us smile, if it makes us cry. You know the personality you've given us more than we do. And you've called us, and you've named us. And Jesus, you know our history. 
You know our tears and our happy moments. You know our family history, the great and the good and the indifferent. You know our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. You've traced us through time and called us for such a time as this to follow you in 2024. And you love us. We have steadfast love. I love Jesus so steadfast and so strong that you went and died for us so that we can believe in you and we can know you forevermore. And also you know who we will become should we follow you. And I pray that the eyes of the enemy be quashed and our hearts and minds and spirits lies like you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, you're not righteous enough. You've not got the same background. You've not got the same personality as other people that are being used by God. And God, in this moment, there will be freedom. The Spirit of the living God would breathe liberty and truth into people's hearts that they would know that you know them, that they are called, they are chosen, that they are being made righteous, that they are justified, that they are free from the curse of sin and shame and the power of the law. And God, you would bring rest to restless hearts that are trying to work out how do I change? How do I become better? And we'd rest in the power of Jesus Christ. And we would say, God, forever you have said our life, we know that you will accomplish it. And as we fix our eyes upon you, we trust that you are transforming us to be who you have called us to be. And we pray for the brilliance of the glory Jesus Christ to illuminate our lives and the church of the living God would become the kindness of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the love of Jesus, the grace, the faithfulness as we be led by you, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and worship Him. Let's give Him glory for all that He is towards us. He knows us. He knows our history. And he speaks words of destiny out of our lives.